Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. It's Drags. It's Wednesday, June 5th. Time for episode 301 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com. Follow us on Twitter at Patriots CLNS. Welcoming back this week, Evan Lazar of CLNSmedia.com, doing a tremendous job covering the NFL and, of course, the Patriots for CLNS Media. Follow him on Twitter at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. How you doing, Evan? I'm a little sunburned, to be oh. honest. I'm a, I'm a rookie when it comes to these training camps. my first training camp that I'm covering uh, every day down there. So, uh, you know, the last week I had suntan lotion. I got a burn on my face, put lotion on my face, forgot my arms, and now my arms are red as a lobster. So <laughs> I, know, I, make I, I, fun, to- I make fun of Alex Barth, our 12-year-old <laughs> cub reporter down there, uh, for <laughs> moments like that. You You do realize that, right? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, listen, you asked me how I was, and I had to be honest. And you are always that. How did Tom Brady look firing passes to Edelman, Nikhil Harry, Philip Dorsett, Dontrell Inman, and Demarius Thomas? Yeah, he looked like Tom Brady on Tuesday. I mean, honestly, really looked like there was no rust. He just went out there. He did his thing. You know, these are passing camps. There's no pass rush. There's no contact in the secondary. So you you kind of take a lot of it with a grain of salt as a result of the fact that there's no contact. But I mean, in terms of just looking at Brady and seeing if all the strength and the movements and the footwork and all that stuff is all still there, his arm looks good, his body language looks good, he looks ready to go. I mean, as you would expect, obviously, from all the stuff that he's posted on social media about him working out the in the off season. Tell me why you think this wide receiver group um, is going to be a successful one this year, because I... I, I believe in the sixth Super Bowl track record of Tom Brady. Obviously, I do. But there are a lot of question marks in my mind about who is going to be able to produce beyond Edelman. Yeah, well, I think that the good news is that Nikhil Harry has a ton of potential now. On Tuesday, there was a lot of back and forth with the coaches, with Nikhil, not that he was being difficult to coach by any means, but he he had some mistakes out there, and that's kind of what this time of year is for, right? You know, you want him to make those mistakes and get those coachable moments and allow them to correct those things. There were certainly some instances out there today where Nikhil was running the wrong route or didn't quite go the exact angle that they'd want him to go at, and they had to kind of fix a few things here and there, but that's a great time to do it right now in June in minicamp and not do it, you know, in a playoff game or something like that. Get those kinks worked out early. So I think that he's kind of the X factor, right? I mean, he has the chance, I think, just based off of talent, he's got immense uh, potential. So if they can get the things together with him and Brady and figure that whole thing out, figure exactly how to use him best kind of on the run here, 
then him and Edelman along with the backfield that they have is a nice combination of weapons. I just think that, you know, right now, obviously, it's all kind of early and Nikhil's a rookie and the Patriots haven't had great success with rookie wide receivers or even tight ends for that matter coming on the scene and having huge rookie years. But I think Nikhil's going to kind of have to have a big rookie year if this team is going to get where it wants to go. So I think that they know that and they're trying to work them along as quickly but also as as smartly as possible. Speaking with Evan Lazar, read Lazar's notebook, Eight Observations from Day One of Patriots Minicamp on CLNSmedia.com. It's must read for any Patriots fan. And I'm going to ask you um, more about point number two on uh, Brady's return to practice after, of course, he missed the uh, voluntary OTAs. Um, what Ben Watson had to say was kind of interesting because Ben Watson knows Tom Brady, right? I mean, obviously sure. back uh, last decade they, they were teammates. And, you know, it was interesting to me that Watson still admires Brady's drive to compete. Yeah, absolutely. That was a question that Mike Reese actually asked him, you know, no shocker there, just asking them what, is it that kind of separates Brady at Brady's age? Because Watson's 38, 39 years old himself. So they kind of are in a similar boat of being just playing the sport at such an old age is pretty impressive for both guys. So I think that that's kind of where the question was going. And Watson just simply said that, you know, the coolest part about it is, is that they were going out for a minicamp practice in June and Tom Brady is walking through the locker room like it's the Super Bowl. You know, he's ready to go. He's telling teammates to, like, you know, get up and let's go and it's going to be a great day and let's practice hard today and stuff like that. And that I think that that and, and just the attention to detail Watson mentioned, because I, I followed up on Mike's question and I just asked him, you know, is that something that Drew Brees also had in common with Brady? Because obviously Watson played with Drew Brees in New Orleans. And right. he said, yeah, but the thing that really I think separates Brady and Breeze together as being these not only the compete factor, but the attention to detail. Both of those guys are just so detail-oriented that every little thing needs to be perfect for them to be satisfied. And, you know, that drive and that competitiveness to have everything be perfect, I think, is why Brady is still doing it at this age. Well, it's funny you uh, mention that, and Ben Watson mentions it, because apparently age isn't a big deal for Ben Watson, but uh, for Adam Humphreys, who almost became a Patriot, it was a big deal. Yeah, I mean, that thing is a whole, that's a, a nightmare, honestly. Bizarro. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, from everything that I've read on it since then, you know, obviously, you know about my report that he was kind of wavering a little bit there at the end. Yep. And there certainly, it seemed like the, everything kind of points to that as well. He keeps on saying, but I was committed to the Titans, but I was committed to the Titans. But everything that he says sounds like he's trying to convince himself that he made the right decision. You know, and, and, and kind of nitpicking at things about New England and specifically Tom Brady's age to kind of justify the decision to himself because he's got to be looking at it now and saying, man, I left a probably equal or maybe even slightly more depending on the reports that you believe money on the table to go play in a worse offense with a quarterback that I don't even know is going to be the starter next year. And I'm just going to say that it's because Tom Brady was old. That's you know, it, just ridiculous. And- right. Uh, it's called rationalization, and that's yeah. obviously what he's doing. Um, but you made a great point earlier this week. I think it was uh, on Monday. You tweeted out, uh, let's not kid ourselves. 
that Adam Humphreys essentially would play the same role as Julian Edelman, and the Patriots are not taking Jules off the field in place sure. of Adam Humphreys. Yeah, so I think that there's a lot going on in terms of how the Patriots structure their contracts with players and what exactly Adam Humphreys' role in New England would have been. So at least for the next two years, you know, assuming that that extension for Edelman happens regardless, we know that Edelman is going to be the guy here. We know that it's his offense and it's that slot position and that flanker role with all the motions and stuff that they do. That's going to be Julian Edelman until Julian Edelman or Tom Brady retires, one or the other. So in that respect, what you're looking at for Adam Humphreys is probably more of a role of what, like, kind of like what Danny Amendola did here, or maybe more of a role like what Chris Hogan did here. But if he did what Chris Hogan did, then he's playing out of position, playing more on the boundary, which is not his strong suit. Then you have to factor in that the Patriots operate on a contract structure that's heavily incentives-based and is right. a lot of per-game roster bonuses. But and more in particular, the incentives-based packages, it can be reported that the Patriots offered Adam Humphreys more money, but maybe the more money comes with a 75-catch season or a 1,000 yards or a Pro Bowl nod or this, that, or the other thing. If all those kind of parameters are in place for Adam Humphreys to make all of his money, that means that he's going to have to get the targets and get the opportunity to be able to make all that money. And I don't know if Julian Edelman's still being here. What was Adam Humphreys' ceiling as a member of the New England Patriots receiving-wise while Edelman was still here? I mean, I guess you could argue that they could have two 1,000-yard receivers, but you know, then you're talking about some big-time production for both guys and the whole offense as a whole. So I think that, that is a big part of it. The Patriots pay as you go, and it's it's a great structure to their contracts because what it allows is it allows them to never overpay a player, right? They're never playing a player more than what he is worth to the team. It's very rare because of the way that they structure the contracts to basically you earn your keep here. So that's a great part about the structure. It doesn't work out sometimes for some of the players, and they lose free agents as a result of it like Adam Humphreys, but... That way there, you'd never see them bogged down with some huge contract that makes no sense on the books because they're always paying the players for their production on the field. That's why we have you on, Evan Lazar, (laughs) because you know a lot of Patriot fans are like, what's the big deal? Can't can't the Patriots have two uh, Julian Edelmans on the field at the same time? And essentially your point is, they can, but they're not going to pay for two Julian Edelman's right. on the field at the same time at that same rate. Somebody's always going to be unhappy in that scenario. Unless he, the, the great thing about Nikhil Harry, for example, is Nikhil Harry is a completely different type of receiver from Julian Edelman, right? I mean, this is a guy that's six foot three, 225 pounds, outside receiver, maybe play a little bit of big slot, but certainly not going to take any reps away from Julian Edelman. It's a more balanced look than what they would have had with Humphreys. All right, let's move on to what I think a lot of people were anticipating. Um, there was a lot of um, uh, rumors behind the scenes, and there was a lot of uh, you know whispering that uh, Austin Safarian Jenkins yeah. would not eventually make the roster. And as it turned out, indeed, on Tuesday, uh, the Patriots released Safarian Jenkins. Uh, what do you make of the release? And uh, you reset the tight end depth chart uh, in your uh, report on Tuesday. So uh, let's go over that. Yeah, it's a tough thing for Safarian Jenkins. It sounds like there's some off-field issues that he's trying to iron out. 
you know, to try to get back to football maybe later on in the offseason. I, I think that Ian Rappaport said that he might try to revisit football in July or August and get on a team then. And I, I think that, you know, there's a chance that the Patriots wouldn't even rule out if he can get himself straightened out to bring him back in kind of a training camp tryout like they were going to do this time. The biggest thing for Safarian Jenkins and the reason why I wasn't as bullish on the signing as some other people is just this is his M.O., and it's nothing against the player or the person, but he is a lot of teams have kind of gotten fascinated by the talent that is Austin Safarian Jenkins, the size and the speed and the combine testing. He has a high draft pick. He keeps on getting deals in the NFL. The Jets took a chance on him. The Jaguars did, and now the Patriots did. And this is always kind of the same. This is his career path is that he gets this chance and then he kind of, it kind of flames out on him for whatever reason. And he's never quite lived up to the potential of his draft stock or of what the type of prospect and type of kind of skill set that he brings to the table. He has a very, he has a starting tight end caliber skill set. You know, six foot five, moves well, can pass the, can catch the ball and can block. But at the same time, he just can't stay on the field, whether it's injuries, whether it's alcohol abuse, whether it's what's going on with him now. It just seems like things keep on coming up in his life that are taking him off the field. So should the Patriots be in the market for finally pulling a trigger on a Kyle Rudolph kind of deal? Is that ever going to happen? I mean, we, you know, is that yeah. the kind of thing where we're just going to have to wait until the end of the summer, uh, maybe even the end of uh, the preseason? Until we see what the Vikings are willing to do. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, they could pick up the phone tomorrow and make a trade, but it seems to me like the best possible scenario for them in terms of adding talent to the tight end position is waiting until the end of August, early September, when those roster cutdowns happen. Maybe even earlier if there's an, a surprise release earlier on in August. But the point is, is that once they get that roster cut down from 90 to 53, there's often veterans that get cut that are surprises. We see it happen all across the NFL. And, or you can tr- maybe try to get a guy in a trade at that point. You know, a, a player that isn't going to make your roster, you trade him for a guy that isn't going to make somebody else's roster, that kind of thing. That's when you can kind of make those things happen. So maybe that's what they look at. I mean, out there on Tuesday at minicamp and a couple of weeks ago when we were out there for OTAs, you know, Malakos and Steven Anderson are involved. Now, I know that those aren't names that people necessarily know or necessarily want to hear when you're trying to replace a guy like Gronk, but those two guys are involved in the offense along with Watson, who will obviously be suspended for the first four games, but he'll come back for the last 12. And Lacoste in particular, I think, has looked the part of kind of, you know, not a, not a stud tight end by any means, but this is a guy that's big, can run, looks comfortable as a receiver, can stretch the field a little bit. The ball doesn't fight him. You know, he has got good hands and natural hands. He's got a little bit of size to him too. I mean, he's six foot six and you stand next to him and he's a really big, well-built guy. Can he, he run block? That's going to be the question, and and we haven't put the pads on yet. So once the pads get on, you know, in a couple of weeks here at the end of July for real training camp, that's when I think we can really start to evaluate some of these Steven Andersons and Matt Lacostes and the redshirt rookie Ryan Izzo and the true rookie and uh, Andrew Beck, the UDFA that they signed out of Texas. Once we start to run block, then I think we can really start to sort out this tight end depth chart. But in terms of just receiving, I think Lacoste has kind of stood out as a guy that certainly looks better than I expected him to. 
Patriots open their mandatory minicamp on Tuesday down at Gillette Stadium. Alex Barth and the man I'm speaking with right now, Evan Lazar, were down there covering it for CLNS Media. They'll be down there all week long covering it, so be sure to follow their outstanding coverage on clnsmedia.com. Uh, Evan, the left tackle uh, situation, kind of fascinating because Isaiah Wynn is in uniform, yeah. but because he's coming back from uh, that torn Achilles, um, you know, they're not going to, certainly at this point of offseason, they're not going to rush him. Um, so they're taking a look at both Joe Tooney and reserve tackle Cole Croston, um, somebody we've, you know, seen a lot of in uh, preseasons before. Um, those two players at left tackle, um, what did you think? Well, I mean, I think that the biggest question mark now going forward is the left tackle position. I'm honestly more worried about left tackle than I am about receiver. I think that they'll find ways to move the football through the air, whether it's just relying heavily on the running backs and Julian Edelman and hopefully Nikhil Harry, too, will obviously be involved. Left tackle is a position that I personally just don't think that you want to mess with. Like, you want to have somebody there that you can trust and that you can rely on and has done it before in the past. And right now, they don't have any of those things. Tooney obviously played left guard at a very high level as one of the more underrated interior offensive linemen, I think, in the entire league. But this is a whole different animal, kicking him outside at the left tackle where his foot speed and playing in space and, and the steps are all different in the running game, too. There's a lot of differences, obviously, of dealing with defensive tackles on the inside where things happen very quickly and in short kind of you know compact areas versus being outside on the perimeter at left tackle where you're going to get you know the smaller ends that can really rush the passer it's a whole different ball game now obviously it helps when you have Tom Brady under center and he's getting rid of the ball in 2.2 2.3 seconds and he sets it and his drops are so precise that you know exactly where he's going to be at all times and that that also set protections as well as anybody in NFL history. Yeah, that all definitely helps, and it certainly helped the offensive line last year, and Trent Brown in particular, I think it helped a whole lot that he knew exactly where Brady was going to be at all times, and he knew that the ball was coming out quickly, so he could use his size as kind of a thing to fall back on. But until we see Wynn get out there, I think this is a big question mark for the team moving forward, and especially the depth there. I I have a lot of confidence in Joe Tooney because I've seen him in an NFL game block high-level pass rushers. I mean, we saw him in the Super Bowl go one-on-one with Aaron Donald and win that matchup. So I'm not worried too much about Joe Tooney playing left tackle, but what is behind Joe Tooney? And is that the best five-man combination to have a Brian Schwenke or a Ted Karras playing guard and Tooney at tackle? That's kind of getting a lot of shuffling for me. I would love to keep that three, those three guys in the interior, Mason Andrews and Tooney, in place because I really think that's a strength of this roster and a strength of this team. So it really all comes down to Isaiah Wynn, but I truly think that looking for a veteran swing tackle, a veteran backup tackle that Jared Veldier was supposed to be is one of the glaring holes on this team right now, unless you really trust in Cole Croston. And I and I really trust in Skarnecchia to figure it out, obviously. But it's just the bodies right now are just not what you'd want in terms of experience. No, not at all. And, you know, the other point I would make is there's a reason they left Marcus Cannon on the right side at yeah. right tackle. Yeah. There was that whole theory about... Look, we're not going to disrupt the whole, um, you know, we're going to 
you know, disrupt one position, we're not going to disrupt three. And I think that might be, um, to your point about, you know, they've got to find somebody at left tackle, um, that they're not rotating because I don't think they want to, definitely don't want to get into a habit of doing that. Uh, you know, Belichick is a lot more comfortable, I think, and has said this on occasion that not necessarily more comfortable, but he's more inclined to rotate interior offensive line positions than he is the the tackle positions. So I don't yeah. think there's any question it, about that. It's it's pretty remarkable too because you know we talked about this a lot last year, also at this time of the year. But they went from Matt Light to Nate Solder for basically this entire run, and then they had you know found a gem in Trent Brown last year. There really hasn't been a ton of left tackles that are protecting Tom Brady's blindside in the last twenty years. There's really only been three guys. So when you start to look at it like that, I mean, now you see the shuffling and kind of, you know, just the spot that they're in is not great. Now, at the same time, Isaiah wins an absolute stud. Like, I think that as soon as he gets back on the field and he gets to 100% and everything's squared away with his health, he's going to be a very, very good offensive lineman in this league. I have no doubt about that. I mean, he was one of the best offensive linemen in college football over two years in a row and one of the best conferences facing NFL-level pass rushers every single week. So he's going to be able to hold his own. I have no doubt about that. But a big guy coming back from an Achilles injury that's really essentially a true rookie at this point because all of last year was lost is certainly a question mark. I mean, none of us can be know for sure if he's going to be you know, who we thought he was going to be at this point. Uh, any surprise, concern that Sonny Michelle and, uh, speaking of an offensive tackle, uh, Yadni Kajus were not, uh, at, um, minicamp on Tuesday? I think it's a little bit of concern for Sonny Michelle. Now, we don't know the nature of it. I assume it's his knees, cause I, you know, maybe I shouldn't assume, but that just seems to be kind of the growing thing with him. But with Yadni, I, I didn't expect him to be out there. He had quad surgery at the end of March and was going to be out for about three to four months. So it was going to be early for him to be back for mini camp. But if he's not back by the end of July for training camp, then we can start to kind of wonder. And I often wonder with players like that that are rookies, is he destined to be one of those guys that ends on IR in his rookie season and they kind of redshirt him? I, I wouldn't be shocked because he has a long history of injuries at West Virginia that have kept him off the field. So maybe it's just better to just get him completely healthy for a year and then revisit it in 2020. But for Sony, I think it's really interesting because Damian Harris has been out there every step of the way. He looks pretty good. He obviously has some juice and, and brings some things to the table that they really like, that I think all of us really like. And Sony, you know, I think that they drafted Damian Harris in a lot of ways as kind of Sony Michelle insurance. I think that they realized that Sony, you know, might be a guy that could get banged up or could have some con- chronic knee issues as well, which were some of the things that were reported on before the draft. And and they kind of need another guy there to kind of that could be a bell cow that could carry the rock twenty times in a game and be able to hold, handle that workload to kind of take some of it away from Sony. Now I know there's going to be a lot of talk radio hosts that are going to run with that, and there you know, always are because they, they wasted a first round pick on Sony Michelle. Not wasted, but they took Sony Michelle with a first round pick, and that's not the type of production or the type of career path that you want to hear about for a first-round pick. But when a running back isn't out there and a guy that wasn't out there all of last training camp because of knee issues, it's obviously something that, you know, it's a, it's a little flag that goes up for sure. Number eight, Jamie Collins, linebacker. How bizarre yeah. was that seeing that? It's it's really bizarre, and he's wearing number eight. 
also, like, I know I put it as my eighth point, but he's also, uh, you know, ironically wearing number eight, which is just bizarre, too, because it just doesn't fit, like, a linebacker <laughs> wearing a single digit. So the whole thing is just weird. And I think that the interesting thing is, though, is that we saw him a few weeks ago this day after he signed with the Patriots. He was out there at OTAs when uh, with the media present, and he was kind of just getting his – bearings and he was playing more with like the threes or the fours and then today or on Tuesday we got there and he was playing more with the ones a little bit on in team drills and 11 on 11 so they're trying to start to bring him along I think and I think that that specialized role that we talked about the last time I was on is really kind of where this is headed but he's starting to get in the mix a little bit more. He still certainly looks athletic. You know, I don't think that Jamie Collins' athleticism was ever in question. The guy's a freak athlete. So he still looks like he can move and he has some range to him and he's still, he's out there. I mean, I think this linebacker core all of a sudden is, is pretty loaded. I mean, I, I understand that maybe there's no Luke Keekley or someone like that or Bobby Wagner, but they have a lot of depth and some of these guys, I think like a Landon Roberts and Christian Sam in particular are going to have to fight and, uh, you know, really claw for a roster spot because I think Collins is, is kind of emerging a little bit here as a guy that they want to try out the second time around. And Mila Fonwu uh, came onto the roster uh, mid to late last season. Yeah. And uh, there's some buzz around him, huh? Certainly, yeah. He's one of those guys that I think a lot of people were kind of surprised about over the last couple of weeks since we've been able to attend some of these practices that he's, you know, fully in the mix at safety, like playing with the starting defense against Tom Brady and Julian Edelman, taking snaps directing people in the secondary and kind of setting some of the chess pieces back there and, and really kind of taking charge at times, I would say, in some of these drills, which I think everybody kind of was just kind of taken by surprise. He looks like a guy, and I wrote this in the in the column, in the notes column, that looks like he thinks he's going to make the roster. You know, you kind of just like watch guys and you and some of these bubble guys, some of them have a confidence about them that you kind of think is like overconfident in terms of their roster security. And I don't know if it's overconfident or not for Obi, but it's working for him. And he looks like a guy that thinks that he's going to be on this team and thinks that he has a role on this team. Now, I think that his role is something like a strong safety that plays a little bit in the box and covers some tight ends. And he's a bigger guy that can move and has some corner in his background as well so I understand what they like about him and it's what the reason why they brought him in last year but one thing that Philip Dorsett mentioned to me that always kind of stood with me since he said it at the beginning of last year is that when he came into the Patriots early September uh, two years ago and they made that trade for Jacoby Brissett with Jacoby Brissett for Philip Dorsett Dorsett said it wasn't until the following season that he felt comfortable in New England in the playbook and felt like he really was confident in what he was doing. And it kind of looks like the same thing with Obi, like he was learning the ropes last year, and now this year he's come in and kind of taken the whole thing by storm. All right, speaking with Evan Lazar, follow him on Twitter at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. We wrap up with, what else, Rob Gronkowski, saying this week uh, on Sunday at his charity event, his charity um, hair styling, hair cutting, shaving event, whatever you want to call it, um, that he's pretty happy where he is. Um, yeah. He's in his happy place in retirement, and you can kind of discount uh, any talk of him coming back. I tend to believe him. I just don't think he, if he is as close to a fourth back surgery as it, you know the rumor mill has him being i don't think he's coming back 
No, I don't think he's coming back either. I think that it's, you know, I think it's nice to see him, though, in some of these events that he's been doing in the offseason. Like, he genuinely looks happy, and Gronk always looks happy. But last year, there were certainly times during the season where we caught him, you know, being a little bit moody because of the way that he was playing and the way that he was feeling physically. It all wasn't adding up to him being Gronk, you know, him being this all-pro, absolute, you know, dynamite tight end. And there were moments last year where that big smile were, was not always there. And that, I think, was a surprise for a lot of people. But all these off-season things that he's been doing, the haircut thing and all that type of stuff, he just looks like he's just in a much better place mentally with where he's at. And I, I just hope he stays there because I, I think that last year in particular – the toll that it took on his body to play that entire season really, I think it, it really bothered him that he couldn't be the guy that he wanted to be anymore. And I think that, that more than anything is probably why he's not going to come back on top of the fact that obviously there's some health concerns with his back and surgeries and stuff like that. I also think the fact that he can't be some guys when you can't be that all pro player, that all world player, it, it just doesn't feel right. And I think that that's what he ran into last year. Want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Thank our terrific uh, guest and colleague Evan Lazar covering the Patriots for CLNS. He'll of course uh, be on site for the remainder of mandatory minicamp as well as the OTC OTA sessions remaining uh, as the Patriots uh, head into uh, the middle part of June. They'll take about a month off, five weeks off or so, and then we'll have all of us will have team coverage of Patriots training camp at the end of July, heading into the uh, preseason and regular season. You can, and of course, should be following Evan on Twitter at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. For producer Michael Angie and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, this is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcast. Or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.